Well, I was going to speak on righteousness today. <clears throat> the Lord gave me words all week long. Wonderful words. The root of tzaddik is the word straight. It comes from a root which means straight. No. Path that leads to God is a straight and narrow path, and there was I had a lot of fun with the message, and then on Thursday in the evening, God said, "Well, that's the next week." <laughs> Which I don't mind. I mean, I prepare messages whether I'm preaching or not. It doesn't doesn't matter to me, and now I'm a week ahead. And he told me to rail on. Halloween. Sorry, Bonnie's not here. Bonnie every year comes up and says, You gonna rail on Halloween this year? Nah, I don't wanna talk about Halloween. But uh, God's voice is louder than Bonnie's. The title of this message is Halloween. Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 26. Her priests have violated my law, and they have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. That word there can mean some kind of evil or profane kind of action, or it can just mean common. You put no difference between the holy and the common something that is dedicated unto God and something that is in common use every day. That's why our rabbis, for instance, prohibit the use of the light from a menorah, the light of the Shabbat candles, the light of the Hanukkah, from being, for, from being used to read, for instance. You shouldn't use that light. That light is dedicated to a very specific purpose. This was definitely the sins of the Corinthians. It clouded their understanding. It blurred the line between good and evil. Corinth was an extraordinarily spiritual kind of con uh, congregation. Everybody spoke in tongues. Everybody prophesied. And for all their spirituality, Outside of Laodicea, they received more rebuke from Paul than any other congregation he speaks about. They put no difference between the table of God and the table of Hasatan in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians is a very profound chapter. Paul ties together all kinds of of concepts from the Tanakh, all kinds of incidents from the Tanakh into what is going on in his present reality, first century. <clears throat> the altar of God and the table of the Lord are synonymous. Again in Ezekiel chapter 41, verse 22, the altar of the wood was three cubits high and the length thereof two cubits. And he said unto me, this is the table of the Lord. People would bring sacrifice 
and that sacrifice would be eaten there, and so the altar became known as the table of the Lord. When we take communion, we talk about the table of the Lord. God informs us in many places, but I like the way this is phrased. Don't be drawn between two opinions. Do not be weak in the knees. He tells us we're weak in the knees when we're drawn between two ideas and we can't make a determination. Decide who is God and follow God. Yeshua says it a little differently. He says, I'd rather you be hot, you know, you're neither hot nor cold, so I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I would rather you be cold or hot. At least I know what I'm dealing with here. In many ways, Corinth and America are really quite similar. For all of our spirituality here, we are weak, having not separated the holy from the profane. The congregation in America is drawn, I wish, between two opinions. We have to aspire to to, to be drawn between two opinions. We're, We're drawn between hundreds. On certain issues, thousands. It's not only that we tolerate evil. We actively participate in evil. Congregations condone uh, homosexuality, participate in it, ordain, marry. We have congregations that are pro-abortion. It's remarkable. They fight for the right of a woman to murder her child. It's, and yet they profess the name that is above all names. How, how do we reconcile these things? How, how can the two walk together once they agree? Church today in America can hardly agree on anything. God chose Abraham to change the course of human history. From him, he would introduce a nation to show forth his praise, his honor, and his glory. And the first commandment that God gives to Abraham is get up, and get out. He wants Abraham to separate himself from everything that he knew, everybody he loved, his family, his friends, everything. Leave that. Go to a land that I will show you. Now God warns us when Israel finally enters into the land, and he says, do not look around and see how these people worship their God and say, I will worship my God the same way. Don't do that. Because they do everything that is abominable to me. They sacrifice their children. They practice uh, everything, all their practices, all their worship is an abomination. It's a stench in my nostrils. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 26, you shall not bring an abomination into your house and like it come under the ban. You shall utterly detest it, hate it. The fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. 
It's a command. Be holy. Separate yourself from these things. Don't participate in them and don't tolerate them in your midst. Hosea chapter 4, we are informed that God's speaking to us. and He says, my, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And so today, I'm going to give you knowledge. Let's take a short promenade through history colored by the light of scripture. When man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil more than just his knowledge increased. When he was exposed to evil and fell to it, he lost his innocence. Evil increased to the point where the smell of that, the stench of that evil rose to heaven and God washed the earth clean. He essentially immersed it in water, a mikvah. He baptized the earth and washed away that evil. In many respects, Noach was very similar to Adam. It was a new beginning. He got the same commandment that Adam got. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Of course, the newness didn't last very long. As man increased, so did evil. Once again, man desired to be like God, to fight against him, to resist his commands. It was the first lie. Eat this and you'll be like God. God tells Noach and his family, be fruitful and multiply. And in Genesis, by Genesis 11, the people of the earth were all together. And they were crossing the sandy plains of Shinar and they came to a place and they all gathered together. They all spoke the same language. And God somewhat concerned him. Look, now nothing they purpose to do will be impossible to them. That cumulative effect of the various souls, those breaths of God coming together had power, real power. Not just the power of agreeing. There was a spiritual power amassed as all the, nation, all the people of the earth gathered together and had a single purpose in mind. God says nothing that they want to do now will be imper- impossible. And so he confuses the language. What were they doing? They were fighting against the command to scatter, to fill the earth. They all wanted to stay together. The tower they built was a symbol of the religion that exalts man over God. It happens throughout the scripture, Psalm 2. Let us break the ties, the cords that bind us to God. The top of that tower was supposed to reach into heaven. That's not literal. And the reasoning was, least we be scattered. It's called the Tower of Babel because that's where God confused the language of the people. And so many of them left. Some stayed. 
There was a city that grew up around that tower, and obviously the name of that city is Babylon, which is the city of confusion. Now those towers were throughout. The, the concept of these towers being built, that spread all across the Middle East, by the way. They're called ziggurat. And basically they're uh, a cone in shape with the top cut off. And at the top of this cone is where these priests would uh, perform their rituals, their sacrifices, etc. Astrology was involved. A number of things that God prohibits. These were certainly present and practiced in the first century. The laws surrounding those, the, the practices of these heathen, is strictly forbidden in Acts 15. There was a number of Gentiles, if you remember from Acts 15, Paul is bringing in a number of people from the nations. Their customs are the polar opposite of that of the Jews. The temple rites of the heathen were nothing, even remotely, the same as the temple rites of the heathen. But all they knew is, well, we have a temple, you have a temple. You know, we make sacrifice, you make sacrifice. To them, there were a number of parallels, but these parallels were nothing compared with what God says in Scripture. And so in Acts 15, it seems right according to us in the Holy Spirit that we, we lay no more burden upon you than these four laws. Now, in context, there are more laws that are laid upon the Gentiles than just four who come to faith. Gentiles who come to faith are not allowed to murder, even though the murder is not mentioned in those four laws. So we have to have a context for what is being said. They're not allowed to steal. These things are taken for granted. These were laws in addition that dealt with various customs that they had that Jewish people found repugnant. And the four laws are don't eat food that, are, that is offered unto idols, don't drink blood, don't eat meat that is strangled, and no fornication. These laws are incongruous. Three deal with food, and then all of a sudden, no sex. Where did that come in? It comes in from the rituals that they participated in in their temples. A sacrifice was made unto idols. That sacrifice was strangled, hung upside down, the throat clit, uh, uh, cut, and then the blood was drained into a bowl, just very similar in the way that... Uh, the first Passover to a bowl and then the one who was making the sacrifice would drink that blood that, that custom persists till today by the way I, I don't know if you're if you're aware uh, 
there's people throughout the, throughout this nation that take their children out to hunt, and when they kill their first animal, they got to drink. Child has to drink blood. That way, you are filled with the spirit of the animal. Supposedly, that helps you hunt better. I hunt pretty good. I ain't never drunk no blood. It is not required to get your meat for the year. <coughs> so those first three <coughs> laws deal with the sacrifice of the heathens. And then when they were done with this sacrifice, the priest would bring out the temple whore. And the one making the sacrifice would consummate that, that sacrifice, sanctify it by sexual act. And that's why we have these four laws given to those Gentiles who are coming into faith and they're going, nah, this is really not the way we worship God. Our God is just a little different. The name of the religion that they established and carried throughout the world is called shamanism. It is the ancient religion of Babylon. Anthropologists call it the religion of Ur, light. Ur was a city, uh, a Chaldean city. Avraham come, comes from Ur, and God calls him out from the midst of these abominations. He doesn't want Avraham to have anything to do with this any longer. He says, come out from this. Leave your, your family. Leave everything you know. Get away from this. Follow me to a land that I will show you. He wanted to create from the progeny of Avraham a nation and a faith that would show forth once again his praise, honor, and glory. They are called Yehudim, the praise of God, rather than shamanism, which is the praise of man. But this new faith that God was establishing did not, never was, the dominant religion on the earth. God's people grew in the midst of the religion of the world, shamanism, in all of its various forms. Unfortunately, Judaism did not have a positive effect on shamanism. Shamanism had a negative effect on Judaism many times. And every time the praise of God was polluted by the praise of man, God is unhappy. He doesn't like it when we're influenced by the way the, the people of the world worship their God. He wants us to be different. Let's jump ahead. This is not an in-depth study of history from the time of Adam to present. We're going to jump ahead to about 300 years after the death of Yeshua. The emperor of Rome, Constantine, he is converted to Christianity, and he makes a declaration. This is no longer the Roman Empire. It is now the Holy Roman Empire. The problem with that declaration 
is you can't decree Christianity. You can't decree a faith. You can force somebody to bow down and worship a chair physically, but you can never make them believe that. You can only coerce out, outward behavior. And when he decreed that Christianity was now the state religion, there were many who came who desired to become Christians out of expediency. Because now in the Holy Roman Empire, they couldn't own land. They couldn't hold political office. So all the politicians and all the landowners, all of a sudden, overnight, are Christian. A relationship with Mashiach is not a, does not come about by somebody else declaring it. It is an intimate moment when you and Mashiach come together. When the holy wind caresses you and your eyes are open and you behold the one who shines like the sun in its brightness. It is an intimate meeting with God. It can't be declared. So the first effect of this declaration was again Pagans accept Christianity for the sake of expediency. They don't want to give up their lands and they don't want to give up their jobs working for the government. Many of these were, people were not born from above. And so they reverted to all that they knew. They incorporated their pagan practices into the new Christian faith. People already worshipped on certain days, and now those days were anointed, baptized, if you will, and they used those days to worship Yeshua. So we have Saturnalia. December 25th becomes the birthday. That's when the sun, S-U-N, is born, so now it's, it becomes the birthday of the sun, Yeshua. Passover. As I mentioned last week, I think, or the week before, Constantine didn't want to have anything, anybody in the church having anything to do with the, with the detestable Jewish crowd. And so Pesach was changed to what? The Feast of Ishtar, Easter, the pagan goddess of fertility. Sunday worship was instituted in the Shabbat, was done away with. Can't remember the name of the person who said it. Can't remember my own name half the time, but um, the lazy Jews celebrate uh, a Sabbath rest. As believers, as Christians, we don't need to rest. They arrest would be nice. Christian, Jew, anybody. Something else happened at that declaration. Christianity was the only recognized religion throughout the empire, and there was severe persecutions on anyone practicing shamanism, paganism, whatever it was called. 
Many were killed, their lands taken, and it forced the practice, those who wouldn't capitulate, it forced the practice of these um, aberrant kind of religions to go underground, and it became, they became known as occult. Now, we attach a number of ideas to the word occult, but occult simply means to hide. It, that's the definition of the word. And so since they had to hide their practices, they became occult or hidden practices. We're told that the end of days will be like the days of Noach. Shamanism or paganism will become the dominant religion, and we're watching it happen right now. I mean, this is a prophecy that you simply can't deny is coming, coming to fruition. It's certainly on the rise. We have neo-pagans. They're no longer hidden. They're right out in the open. Shamanism is the religion of witchcraft, again, in all of its forms. And in Re Revelation chapter 17, we see that it will once again become the dominant religious force and is referred to by its, in its original form, the Whore of Babylon the ancient religion of Babylon in the book of Revelation. Since the early 1900s, this religion has become more obvious. It has infiltrated her principles into our workplaces. We are forced to take classes that we don't want to take and that have no practical value but we're forced to take them, what to indoctrinate us. Many in corporate America have come to me, I mean scores of people, what, what should I do here? They're forcing me to take this or I lose my job. Again, it has had an effect on people, and not just in the world. These effects are felt in the body of Messiah. There are denominations that fight for the right, a woman's right to murder her baby. It's, it's incomprehensible to me how these two positions can dovetail on any level. How they can exist in the same person, in the same, at the same time, in the same universe. How do these things, how are these things reconciled? Little background to the day we call Halloween. Bell is the God of Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 44. And I shall punish Bel in Babylon, and I shall make what he has swallowed to come out of his mouth, and the nations will no longer stream to him. Even the wall of Babylon has fallen down. Again, very similar to the description in the book of Revelation. God will punish Bel, the chief of the pagan gods. He was the highest of all their gods. 
Bel is the god that is exalted in the Satanic Bible. He is worshipped on eight unholy sabbats, as they call it. They don't use the shin, it's the sin. These counterfeit the holy days of Leviticus. And then there's one more. Your birthday. In shamanism, your birthday is the highest day of your yearly cycle. It's very narcissistic, self-centered kind of faith. You are the center, and on your birthday, that's the highest day for you in this particular worshiping liturgy. The other days are all performed at midnight and in the darkness. The highest day in shamanism, again, is your birthday. Of the two, of the corporate worship days, the two highest days are May Day and Sawin, which is November 1st. Sawin means November in the ancient Gaelic. The second highest day, May Day, the bell fires were lit. They were ignited. They would take all over the hills of, of northern Europe. They would take huge piles of wood and set them on fires, and there was hundreds, maybe thousands of them. Bell is known by many names. In Baal's, I, I mean, uh, in Elijah's time, he was known as Baal. Uh, to the uh, modern Celts, he's known as Cerno great horned god. He's also the god of animals to the uh, neo-pagans. And he is above all the other gods. He's called Pan. You remember there, Peter Pan? That, that's where the word comes from, by the way. Pan is Lucifer in their vernacular, coming in the form of a half-man and half goat. This has been around for a really long time. This is not a modern Celt form of, of worship. In Leviticus 17, verse 7, the Lord forever prohibits the worship of the Lavarim, the goat demons. This is ancient. The anointing of the god Pan is fear. It's where we get our word panic, by the way, which is an extraordinary and extreme form of fear. It's one of the reasons we are told in the New Covenant, God has not given you the spirit of fear. Sound mind. Bell is also called the Bright One, the God of Light. Lucifer, the bright and shining one. In shamanism, Satan and Lucifer are two different concepts. Lucifer is this great sun-like god, S-U-N. A, a bright shining light. Satan is a state of mind, not an individual. 
And the difference is shown in this passage of their, I don't want to call it their Bible, but I guess it's the best way to refer to it. Lucifer stands at the door to your heart and knocks. That sounds kind of familiar. If you let him in, he becomes to you this great light. If you do not, becomes to you Hasatan, the accuser. Satan is the state of mind that one exists in without being, quote, regenerated in the mind by occult practices. All witchcraft, false mysticism, has its beginnings at the Tower of Babel. In fact, the one who led the people there, Nimrod, is the first, the very first type. He's the archetype of the beast of Revelation who exalts himself, who seeks to help people break the ties between humanity and God. This was certainly, this religion was certainly around when Paul was wandering through Asia Minor, Minor and Europe. In his, the very first chapter of the book of Romans, is a rebuke of this faith which worships the creation rather than the creator. Romans 1 is, is a thoroughly... I, I, he's exigent in his descriptions of what these people do and how they exalt man, how they exalt various animals, etc., the moon, the sun, the star, everything in creation is exalted in worship, except God. And the sexual and culinary rites that surrounded this worship, again, is prohibited, once again, in Acts chapter 15. Now, the Druids, when they founded the new world here, the Druids brought this ancient religion with them to America. Entire new world. October 31st is called Sawin, again, again, literally November, and it's the dark sh uh, Sabbat. On May Day, the bell fires are lit, and on Sawin, or Halloween as we call it, those fires are put out. It's a death Sabbat. It's their New Year's Eve. Sawin or Halloween was consecrated by human sacrifices in times past, and in more recent times, those sacrifices have been of various animals, black cats, cattle. My sheriff hated, up in Idaho, he hated whenever Halloween would come around, because there were always cattle and horse mutilations. It, it was a sad, it was a sad day. Another rite that was necessary to be performed on this day was divination or necromancy, calling up dead spirits or demons and inviting them in. We modern folk here call it channeling. They would invite these dead spirits or demons or whatever was out there to come into them. They were inviting them to possess them. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III baptized this witch's sabbat, and he called it All Saints Day. It's the same day. 
that doesn't make it holy to the Lord. Again, Deuteronomy, don't go, when you go into the land, don't look around and see how they worship their gods. You worship me this way. And he's very precise in his instructions in places, times, etc. He doesn't want us sharing the table, his table, with the table of Satan. During the English Reformation, this day of Samhain or Halloween or All Saints Day, no matter what you called it, it was abolished. You weren't allowed to have a worship service on that day. In 1928, the church reestablished this. It didn't, they didn't, they thought all the pagans were gone and it didn't matter. They considered it nishkafelach, as we say in Yiddish. It wasn't dangerous. It proposes no threat. The lack of knowledge concerning these pagan practices opens us up to being influenced by them. And today many practice shamanism under other names, mind science. Earth worship. In the Al-Khet prayers, Bill listed a whole, uh, just a yachut, a basket of these kinds of, of, of beliefs that all come under the general heading of shamanism. Speaking your desires into existence. My words have the power to bring something from the ethereal into a physical being. It's what witches do with spells, isn't it? Yeshua prohibits us. He tells us, don't, don't be repetitious. These mantras, you recite them because you think maybe God will hear them because of the uh, loudness or p perhaps because of the repetition. Now. Make your desires known. I've heard this so many times. What, what can a little trick-or-treat hurt? It's, it's, it's nothing. It's really nothing. We're not worshiping Satan. We're just sending out our children to beg from the neighbor's coffee. Uh, Candy. <laughs> Living out on the plains, I let Davi go trick-or-treating. I'm just kidding. He was supposed to walk to the neighbor's, but the neighbor was like 10 miles away. <laughs> he didn't make it. You know, so that way he couldn't feel like he was being deprived. I'm being facetious, obviously. Little background to trick-or-treating. In times past, people would de dress up as dead spirits, ghosts, witches, goblins, and such. They would travel across the countryside on what came to be known as Mischief Day. And the people would do all manner of evil and then blame it on these spirits. No, I didn't do it. It was the spirit. The ignorant and fearful and panicked people would give them treats in order to appease the demons, the dead spirits, thereby avoiding harm. So they would cut out pumpkins and other gourds 
into scary faces and various symbols that were called hexes, and they were designed to scare away these evil spirits. Now, you can still see, you go through the Pennsylvania Dutch com a country, and almost every barn has a hex on it to protect it. And what you're telling these spirits, I'm not dismissing these spirits by any means, but what you're telling them is here lives a person who's afraid of you. The people in this house don't believe that the one who lives in me is greater than the one who is in the world. That's what you're saying when you come up with the, all of these little talismans and all of these little objects. I love horror movies, not present ones because they're just... I love the old Boris Bela Lugosi. You know, they were comedies for me. Absolutely hilarious. A guy who has no belief in God holds up a cross and poof, and he takes his talus. And he's got to hide himself. His talus is black. So much foolishness. Yeshua addresses this with the gold of the temple or the one who lives it. Where does this talisman get any power from? It's, it's not the talisman. It's the faith of the person. This is, this is insanity. It's silliness. Even as a child, I could recognize this kind of foolishness. This is why it was funny. We don't need trinkets and charms. God lives within us. The power I have is not manifested by, by a necklace or a bracelet, certain types of clothing. That, that's simply foolishness. The power I have is with me wherever I go, in whatever circumstance I'm in, that power resides within me. And so one would have to ask himself, what, what fellowship should the light have with darkness? This is a, a day of darkness and death. We are light and life. We are children of light. Walk in the light. Avoid the darkness. We should pray against this day. The shul will remain open on for Sunday evening if anybody wants to come and pray, but you can pray at your house. Your particular location is not necessary. You don't need to pray here for God to hear you. We are consecrated vessels. We are made holy, separated out of the world, as Paul says in Romans 1, I have been separated out of the world unto God. 
And it's improper for us to mix the holy with the profane. Don't take these things lightly. They are real. Come out from amongst them. The same document that bears witness of God bears witness that he has an enemy. And he is not benign. He is a lion that roams around seeking to devour you, me, anyone he can. Make that separation. Do not ignorantly flirt with evil. Every time you take a turn on the dance floor with Satan, we carry his scent when we leave that dance floor. The only fear that God has given us is the fear of him. And the fear of that Lord is to hate everything that he says is evil and everything about the worship of the nations of this world on this day is evil and repugnant to him. Walk as wise men and women. Hear what the Lord says. Do not bring an abomination into your house and like it, come under the ban. Light should have no fellowship with darkness. Engage the enemy. I'll tell you, when I was a kid, parting comment here, and this was even back in the 50s, before, I mean, there's no nolo contendra. There's no comparison between today and what I grew up in. But this has always been a day of horror. In the 1950s, in New York, in Brooklyn, some lunatic, for a couple of years in a row, put razor blades and apples, oranges, various kind of fruits, and he would give them out at trick-or-treat. And it was a whole rash of kids. They'd bite into the apple and they'd cut their palates. It's a day of evil. Father, in Yeshua's name, we give praise, honor, and glory to you. And I, and I truly thank you that you have called us, just like Abraham, to leave all that we have known and follow you to a land that you will show us. That you have opened up our eyes to see the light, which is the life of man. You have distinguished yourself, separated yourself, made yourself holy, and you have given us eyes to see. You are a light unto our path. Open our eyes that in your light we might see light. Father, protect the children who are out there, the innocence of those. Give wisdom to the parents. Foil the plans of the enemy for this upcoming night, Lord God. May all of his plans turn upon him. Come back to him sevenfold. May the light of your presence Chase that darkness from before us in Yeshua's precious and holy name. Amen.